Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Cassidy Church. I'm so glad that you have joined us today uh, for our online worship service and for uh, continuing to dive deep into uh, what God is calling us to do. Here at Cassidy, uh, we, we just strive to be more like Jesus. If you're a guest here, if you uh, have uh, been invited to join us, or if you've just stumbled across the stream, we're excited that you're with us. We're excited because we believe that God is moving in and through us in the church and, and that God is using us even in a time like this where things seem to be upside down uh, to grow closer to him and to be better neighbors in the world around us, to make a difference on behalf of Jesus Christ in the world. And, and that's kind of the idea that we had about this whole uh, Ask Questions. Uh, the, the sermon series that we've been on for the past five weeks has been uh, what, what questions grown-ups have about the Bible. And the reason that we're asking these questions is because, quite frankly, I think far too frequently, uh, the older we get, the, the fewer questions we ask. Maybe that comes because we think we know everything, or maybe it comes because we know we don't know as much as we let on. Uh, and so we stop asking some of these questions. And, and my hope is during this this. Uh, series that will really come to uh, an understanding that we need to continue asking questions. We need to keep digging deeper in our faith, in our relationship with God, in our understanding of the Bible so that we can learn and grow together, uh, so that we can be more perfected, more made more like Jesus each and every day. And so that's my hope as we continue this series, uh, because we started out asking questions like, were there dinosaurs on Noah's Ark? And last week, we were talking about denominations. And so if you weren't able uh, to, to see those uh, or to hear those, I'm going to invite you to go check us out online. Our, our, uh, our website, we have the ability to watch the sermons, or you can listen to the sermons via podcast. Uh, on whatever your favorite podcast device is, but you're invited to go check those out and, and catch up with us as we wrap this series up. Uh, we, we talked about so many different things. Today's question is, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? Uh, and it's, it's the number one most requested question that we had. Uh, there are so many questions that came in, and it was so many different ways that this was asked. One was, uh, are my loved ones going to be right there when I die? And another one is, what is heaven going to be like? And, and the difficulty that we have is it, this, these aren't easy questions to answer. And that's because most of the people that could answer the questions uh, aren't able to answer the question. Uh, or don't answer the question. One of my all-time favorite movies is uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But in The Return of the King, there's this, this battle in this city called Ministereth. Uh, and, and Gandalf the White is there, who is a wizard, uh, is there with uh, Pippin, who is one of the hobbits, who's like a little bitty halfling type of guy. And if you're not familiar with this, I encourage you, go and watch the extended versions, get a whole bunch of popcorn, uh, enjoy yourself, because they're just amazing. Uh, but there's a scene with Gandalf there, and Gandalf, uh, the, the army has come against Minas Tirith, and Pippin is worried that they're all going to die. And he's asking, well, I guess this is the end. And this is Gandalf's response. Gandalf says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one we all must take. 
the gray rain, the gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it, white shores and beyond, a far green country under a swift sunrise. A far green country under a swift sunrise. It's a beautiful picture. And Pippin actually says to Gandalf, that doesn't seem so bad. And Gandalf responds, no, it's not so bad at all. The thing about Gandalf is that Gandalf had seen it. Gandalf had fallen through death and fire in in order to beat this other thing. Uh, So Gandalf had come back from the other side and was explaining to Pippin a little bit of what he knew to be awaiting them. Uh, And and that's kind of our difficulty, is that we know, uh, and I'm not talking, when when I talk about people that have died and come back, I'm not talking about like the six minutes in heaven or six minutes in hell, or I'm talking about people that were good and dead. Uh, there's only two that I really know about. One is this guy named Lazarus, and Jesus raised him from the dead, and he really doesn't have a whole lot to say about his experience. And the other one is Jesus. And Jesus doesn't do a whole lot of conversing about what happens on the other side either. And I think the reason is because it is hard to explain things that are beyond your comprehension. Uh, that, that you have no way to compare. A buddy of mine once told me it's like trying to explain uh, the color blue to somebody that was born blind. Words just won't be able to convey the, the, the difference, the message of, of what you're trying to explain. It's, it's impossible to do that. And I think that's the difficulty we have is that in Christ... We, we run up into that problem. We see that, um, that, that, that he has this understanding of what awaits us, but maybe he just can't communicate that in a way that we'll understand because we haven't seen that. We haven't seen beyond that veil. We haven't uh, had that glimpse of, of what comes next. And, and Christ offers, uh, he, he talks about it in unique ways. He talks about uh, it, what comes after as in um, it's like, or he gives these allegories or examples of, of things that it's similar to, but it's not, this is exactly what's going to happen. And I think that's the reason is because although we know that we're going to go through this, that we're all going to die, that, that it's not something that we understand really what takes place and how it happens. And that's why this was asked so many times. Uh, we, we, we are, uh, there's that old joke about the two constants, death and taxes. I think there's really only one constant, and that's death, that, that uh, all of us, because we are here, we, we will experience death. We, we don't know what's going to be on the other side. We don't have a clear view of what's going to be on the other side. Um, and quite frankly, I don't have all of the answers on this either. And that's because Jesus, who is the one that has come back and has experienced, came from the Father uh, beforehand, has no desire to explain exactly what it's going to be like. And, and I think, again, it's not because he's, he's bound and determined to make us suffer a little bit. I think it's because it's, it's impossible for him to explain it to us. And so what I wanted to do is acknowledge first, 
I, I'm not sure what happens. I'm not sure the path that we're going to have to take. I'm not sure how we're going to get there and what that looks like. Uh, but we can take some time and kind of do some investigation, some digging, and put some connections together to try and understand how some of this is going to work. Um, and it's not because we have a clear picture, but it's because we have some information. And the reason that I wanted to start there is because there's a couple of different theories about what happens when we die. When we die, what does it look like? What, what happens in that moment uh, of death? And, and the two theories are this. One is we are immediately in the presence of Christ, that we're there with Jesus right at that moment. Uh, and the second is that we fall asleep in our faith and we await the resurrection. Uh, and maybe you've heard uh, either of these. Maybe you've never heard any of them. The good news is, uh, to be totally honest, it doesn't matter because for us, wherever we are, when we, when we pass from life into death, into new life, it's going to be instantaneous for us. Nobody goes to sleep and is able to be like, while they were sleeping and dreaming, to, to count the passage of time. You wake up in the morning and you're like, man, I, I, either I, I didn't sleep as long as I wanted, maybe. Uh, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I overslept. I slept way longer than I intended to. But you don't have that passage of time. And so if we fall asleep in Christ and await the resurrection, it's not not like we're waiting impatiently. We're not sitting there going, oh man, if only Jesus would hurry up. It's that, that passage of time will be beyond our understanding. And so whether it's immediate uh, and we're immediately in Christ's presence or we're asleep, either way, to us, to those that go into that, it's going to be immediate. There's not going to be that passage of time. And I'm, I'm putting that together just from my own experiences and from what we read. But the, the point is, that I, I want us to understand is that we're, we're not sitting there waiting in anguish for Jesus to come. Uh, the, this is where some people have, have tried to figure out how this is going to look and where some of the ideas of purgatory come into play, that um, there's this, this waiting period that we have. And, and I don't think that that's the case at all. Um, but I wanted to, to say that there, there's two possibilities. And, and how do we get those two possibilities? One uh, comes from a lot of the language of the New Testament, the idea of going to sleep in their faith. Paul talks about those saints that have gone to sleep in their faith, meaning that they had been uh, been killed or that they had died. And he kind of addresses that. But there's a beautiful scene in the book of Acts um, where we come to understand where some of that idea could come from. And it comes, like, it, it comes in the story of Stephen. Stephen was this guy who was in love with Jesus Christ. And um, in the new church that had been formed, he came to the, the apostles and he was like, hey, um, we're not treating the Greek and, and uh, the foreign women and, and orphans the same way we are the Jewish women and orphans. And so I want to take that on myself and I want to care for them. And so the, the apostles gave him that authority that, that he would be in charge of the caring for the poor and the widows and the orphans. And so he, he has a heart after people. Well, the Sanhedrin, the ruling class of the Jews, are trying to quell this uprising of the Christian faith, the church, the growth that they're having. And so they bring Stephen in front of them, and Stephen goes through this, this beautiful uh, picture of the faith. 
and how God has, has empowered him and the church to continue to grow and that God is, is that Jesus really is the Son of God and, and that what they had done in crucifying him is wrong, but it had to happen so that they could have this opportunity, this relationship. And the Sanhedrin respond this way. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said this, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knew he was going to die. Receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And there's that language, he fell asleep. This, this scene is uh, about a young man who is filled with the Spirit of God, and while he's being stoned, while he's uh, having people kill him, he has this vision of, of Jesus opening up the heavens, and he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and it's a beautiful picture of this. And then it says he fell asleep. So which way is right? Uh, it's with just this piece of information, we really don't know. We really don't have enough information with this because while he sees Jesus, we don't know that when he falls asleep, he's awaiting Jesus to come uh, and, and what that looks like. And so then we have to, if, if that was all we had, we would just have to guess. We would have to guess at it. For, for me, though, I see an answer that is provided by Scripture about the immediate thing that happens right after we die um, in, in a different story. It's a story of Jesus and the transfiguration. Maybe you'll remember this story uh, from some previous uh, lesson that you've had, but Jesus goes up on a mountaintop, and while he's on the mountaintop, he's transfigured. We're going to take a look at it, and, and I'm going to use that to help us to, um, to see a little bit behind the curtain. Uh, it says this, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Now, this this scene has so much information to it, and it continues. Uh, actually, Peter goes up to Jesus and says, oh, this is so great. You, Moses, and Elijah are here. Let me build some tents. And it says this little caveat at the end. It says, uh, but he didn't know what he was talking about. Like he was out of his head because this is beyond 
beyond the reality of experience that they've had. Uh, Jesus is transfigured. His face and his clothes are changed in their presence. And they've been asleep and they wake up and they see Moses and Elijah and Jesus all having a conversation about what's about to take place for Jesus. Now here's the piece of information that I want us to catch from this is that Moses and Elijah had been gone from this world for a long time. Moses had died on a mountaintop overlooking the promised land and Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind to heaven and yet they're present with Jesus. They're not asleep waiting for for that to happen. They're present and having a conversation with Jesus. And that, I think, gives us the clue about what what happens when, uh, when we die. And that's because if they were still asleep awaiting the resurrection, they wouldn't be present having that conversation. They wouldn't be there having that conversation with Jesus about what was to come. And so I, I think in my experience, what, what I understand and the way that I put things together is that it makes the most sense for me that when we die, we're directly in the presence of Jesus Christ. That there's no waiting game, there's no period of, of slumber that we have in the body. That we are, are in some way present with Jesus right at that moment. And uh, I don't know exactly how that works. I, I can't give us answers that we don't have. But what I do know is in reading Scripture and in diving deep, it, it paints that picture that right away there is something that happens. And, and I have sat in hospital rooms and in rooms uh, where, where hospice patients have been released to go and await uh, their, their ultimate destination, this, this travel through death. And so many times, friends, so many times while they've been uh, waiting and family members have gathered around them, they see Jesus present with them, or they see family members that are awaiting them. Uh, They start talking to their spouse that has passed before them, or they recognize that Jesus is right there with them. And and they don't say, oh, it's the Jesus like uh, I expect Jesus to look. No, they just know it's Jesus right there with them. And, and, And that is truly the thing that we need to focus on, the thing that we need to latch on to. It's not exactly how all of this process works, but that Jesus is there. I don't know if you remember, but in the upper room, Jesus had gathered his disciples and the world was about to turn upside down for them. The world was about to just become a bizarre place because the leader that they loved and had followed and gave up everything for was about to be executed on a cross. And, and Jesus wanted to give them some words of hope, some words of, of assurance. And Jesus says this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My fa- in my Father's house has many rooms. If, it were not, if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Friends, this paints 
a different picture than even uh, the idea that, that Jesus is present when we die. It's the idea that, that Jesus isn't going to leave us where we are, that, that when we die, in that moment, Jesus comes to get us. I, I mean, that, that to me speaks more volumes than, than any of our theological arguments or our, our confusion on death, is that regardless of how it happens, Jesus comes to get us. Jesus doesn't leave us on our own, but Jesus is present. We have this, this idea that it's the angel of death, you know, and we have the grim reaper, right, in, in our minds when we talk about this. But I want us to know it's not like that at all. It is Jesus himself who has come to retrieve us and to bring us to be where he is. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and he invites us into those rooms and comes to get us and take us home. Now, I, I, I want you to, to wrestle with that, to, to, to go through that, to focus on that, and, and to recognize that, you know, although we don't have an understanding of exactly what heaven is like, exactly what the new creation is going to be like, we don't know how all of this is going to play out, we have a gift from God, and that is a God-given imagination. We've been told that we can't fathom. We can't understand what heaven will be like. And to me, I don't know about you, but to me, that's a challenge. That is a challenge of what could heaven look like? Because I got a pretty good imagination. Maybe you do too. And maybe all of us imagining, we can spend some time thinking about what, what it will be like in heaven. I mean, I've got people that tell me there's going to be deer hunting in heaven because they love deer hunting. I've got people that tell me uh, my dog is going to be right there waiting for me. Uh, and, and all of these different views of heaven where, where we are imagining so great what, what heaven could be like. And yet the truth is it's going to be so much better, so much bigger, so much fuller than what we can even contemplate in our own imagination. And that is good news. Friends, that means that our reality will be so different when Jesus comes, when Jesus takes us home. Uh, it will be so different than the brokenness of the reality that we have. Paul tells us, Paul tells us this, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be known fully, even as I have been known fully. Uh, I, I shall be known fully, even as I have been known fully. This is the, the idea that we only have a glimpse, that we don't have clarity on what it's going to be like, but God offers that clarity in death because no longer are we seeing through uh, a dim mirror. Instead, we see face to face. And no longer are we only the ones that are known by God, but we get to know God in a new and unique way. And, and it's going to be powerful and profound and different and beautiful and amazing. And all of the adjectives that, that are positive, we can throw in there because they're all going to work in there somehow. It's going to be so much more real than the reality that we're used to. Uh, C.S. Lewis has uh, a, a book called The Great Divorce. And in it, he talks about the reality of heaven is so real that when he first gets there, that, that it's, it's 
more real than he is, that, that the grass, the blades of grass are actually going into, into him because he's not as solid, not as real as heaven is. There are so many different pictures that we can paint, so many different ways we can imagine heaven. What I want us to realize is that 